Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our first scripture reading for the Sunday is John 15, 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Our second reading is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in seminary at Baylor, we, uh, a group of us had this opportunity to go to Cuba. At that time, we were not, uh, most people were not allowed to go to Cuba, but if you had federal permission, you could go to Cuba uh, for a couple different reasons. For us, we went for educational purposes. And so a small group of seminarians, we went down to Cuba, and we were studying the church's presence in a communist country. That was our main goal. And so here's a picture of uh, I took while I was in Cuba. And it was such an amazing experience to see this nation and this culture, but also see what God was doing. We noticed a lot of different things. One, we noticed that old uh, cars were everywhere. You know, this is the picture many of us have of Cuba. We also noticed uh, some fashion ideas that Cubans had. Perhaps it was because it was really humid and hot. But one thing I noticed was there is this mesh vest that these guys would wear around town. And I just want to warn you, for some of you women, you're going to want to close your eyes. I saw this mesh vest and I wondered, could I pull it off? And so I remember, there it is right there. It breathes so well. Leads nothing for the imagination. And yes, that was not a wig. That was my real hair. But we had uh, the opportunity to meet a lot of different pastors, and, and here's a picture of me. I had an encounter with a pastor there in Cuba. Just look at that baby. Uh, I was like 24, and I looked like I was about to go to homecoming. Uh, but I had an encounter with this pastor in Cuba, and just hearing his story, I remember sitting down in his office. We took this picture together, and he was telling us the stories of his ministry. He felt called and compelled to plant a church in an area in Cuba. There had been no churches because it was so violent against Christians. So he went there with his family and very quickly found out that uh, this community was run by um, these men who practiced witchcraft and, and other uh, things like that. And very quickly they found out who he was, and they pulled him out into the streets and beat him. Um, and then he started gathering people to plant this church, and they kept on pulling him out to the streets and beating him more and more, saying that he had to leave town. He could not plant a church. And it was interesting. The more they beat him, the more people were curious about this church, this little community that was starting to form. It got to the point where this one kind of ringleader pulled him aside and said, if you do not stop this, I'm going to kill you in front of your congregation. But he didn't stop. He felt convinced that this is what he was called to do. And I'm, so I remember sitting in his office, and he's telling me the story, you know, face to face. And he said to me, he said, but I knew God had called me to do this, and he wouldn't leave me alone if I were to walk forward with this. And so I, was pray- I remember just praying to God, pleading for God's presence in my life. 
And this one night happened when, when the church was gathering and this, this home that they were meeting at was so full of people. They had literally the windows open so they could hear what was going on inside. And he told me that he started hearing wrestling from the outside of this building and in walks in this ringleader of the community with all of his cronies behind him. And he told me, he said, I knew why they were there that day. And that was that they were going to kill me in front of uh, these people who were there to worship. And so as he was walking towards me, I just, all I knew to do was to pray. So I closed my eyes and I began to pray to God that nothing would happen. That no one would be harmed. That God would use this moment for his glory, regardless of what happened, that he trusted God. And he said, I was praying, and then seconds went by, and a longer period of time went by, and I realized that the whole room had gone silent. And he said, I opened up my eyes, looked at this man who was no more than three feet away from me, and he was standing there wide-eyed, and he said to me, I can't take another step towards you. Who is this God you pray to? And there in front of that whole community, this man who was leading this community out of evil and danger and threats of violence came to know Christ, and all of his followers did. And I remember sitting there on the other side of the desk from this pastor telling the story in like bumps were all over my body, you know, like the Jesus bumps, you know, like you're just going, What? And I asked him this question. I said, how did you get to the point where you felt like you had that kind of connection with God to pray those kind of prayers, to believe that God would do this? And he said, I remember I began waking up early and praying two hours in the morning, just me, just two hours in the morning. And I remember thinking in my mind, okay, but what else? (laughs) Is there anything else that I can do? And he said to me, I'll never forget this, he said, you probably don't want to, wake up early and pray two hours in the morning before anything else do you? And I said, honestly, no. He said, it's probably because your God's not alive. And I remember that him saying that and being really frustrated and annoyed by how judgmental he was towards me. But it was true. That in my prayer life, I had forgot that there is this vital connection we have to a living God. That when we pray, it's not just we're having some sort of monologue to the ceiling, that we're actually encountering the living God who can do stuff in this world. And I remember leaving this interaction. We took this picture before he said that thing to me because I looked really happy right then. Um, But I remember leaving there just kind of deflated and inspired of what if all of a sudden I could remember that God was alive. I think for us, we struggle with prayer because we struggle with remembering that we have this opportunity to have life with the living God. For many of us, we, our idea of prayer is just too narrow, it's too thin. My guess is for many of us, we would describe our prayer life like a phone conversation. We pick up the phone, we have some sort of introduction, Heavenly Father, oh, holy God, Lord, oh, Lord. Whatever it is that we do, our natural default is we have this opening, then we have this middle section that typically is us talking about all the things that we want or we think we might need from God, and then we finish it up with some line ending with an amen, telling God he can stop listening now, right? The phone's hung up. Stop peeking in my life. 
And I wonder if that idea of prayer is problematic for us, in part because it's a really boring conversation because we rarely stop and listen to God. But secondly, it's so rigid that the formula is we have this interaction with God and it's done and we don't live with this, this idea of life with God through the rest of our life. There's nothing wrong with praying in the morning, but could prayer be something more? I think it's why when we hear uh, scripture like we heard earlier, this call and commandment to pray without ceasing, we don't know what to do with it. Does that mean I have to have my, my hands folded, my eyes closed all throughout the day? Is that really what prayer without ceasing is? Perhaps Scripture is trying to teach us that prayer is something greater and wider than just that. Not that there's any, anything wrong with that type of prayer, but might there be a more expansive view of what prayer could be? The Apostle Paul he had an encounter with Jesus. He went from being an enemy of the church, and he had this encounter with Jesus, and he ended up being a church planner. This is what he did. He spent his years after his conversion planting churches, and including with that, uh, he would often, often write letters to these church plants that he would help out with, church plants like us. Here we are 2,000 years later, a little church plant, about a year old. And Paul would write letters to churches like us and saying, hey, here's some things I forgot to tell you, or here's some things I wish that you would know. And he wrote a letter like this to a church in a place called Thessalonica. And in our scripture reading, Paul gives some powerful words and in these words, this is the final words of his first letter that we have in our scripture, uh, in 1 Thessalonians. He's summing up what the Christian life should look like. In verse 16, it says this, and this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He's summing up the whole Christian life by saying this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. I love Eugene Peterson's version of this in the message is transcribed to say this. Be cheerful no matter what, pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. These are the final words that Paul wrote to this community, and they're all three high bars. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. These are all three high bars, but for me, the, the, the one that's the most difficult is pray at all times. Really? A constant state of prayer? What I'd like to do is I'd like to humbly offer another definition of prayer, one that's very different than the phone call conversation that we might have with God. I want to offer a different way of thinking of prayer, and it's this. Prayer is an awareness and surrender to God's presence. It's an awareness and a surrender to God's presence. It's an awareness. First, I don't have to dial up the phone. Like, God is actually here with me. God is a part of every single moment of my day. And the question is, if I am aware of that presence, if I am present to God, 
And so God is here, and so a prayer begins with that sense of awareness. But it's more than just being aware of God. It's an act of surrender. It's, the surrender part is a posture of life. It's not enough that I recognize that God is here with me, but it's that I am giving my moment to God. As I'm aware of God's presence, I'm living with that presence in mind, and I'm changing how I live my day because of that. And when I live with awareness and surrender, I might be living in prayer with the reality that God is my constant companion who looks for my surrender every single moment. So with this type of idea of prayer in our life, we could see how prayer is a way in which we live our days, moment to moment. It is a lifestyle. More than an awkward phone conversation, it is a way in which we live our life attuned and reoriented because of God's presence to us. So here's a word picture that might be helpful instead of it being this phone conversation. Here's a uh, word picture. Do you know that there are certain type of plants that are called helio- heliotropic plants? Uh, and what they do is these plants follow the sun. So sunflowers, when they're younger, their bulb will literally move with the sun. And then at nighttime, when the sun's gone, it reorients itself back to the east, waiting for the sun's appearance. And I wonder if this might be a better understanding of a life of prayer, constant prayer, is having the orientation of our life and our posture of our life to God's presence, moving wherever God goes, being attuned to what God cares about throughout our days, and waking up with a sense of expectation that God has something more for me today. This could be a different way of seeing what prayer is. Paul elsewhere calls out this constant connection and orientation to God by walking in the Spirit. He said that in the uh, New Testament. I love that, the idea of walking in the Spirit. We, we have the opportunity to take step-by-step step walking in the Spirit. Jesus, he, he actually said something very similar in John 15, which we heard just a second ago, by our calling to abide in Jesus or remain in Jesus. Uh, we remember this in John 15. Remain in me. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As I am the vine, you are the branches. What Jesus is saying is the Christian life is about remaining connected to him, to Jesus. So our job is singular. Our job is not to be fruitful. Our job is not to grow. Our job is not to stay healthy. Our job is to stay connected to Jesus, to remain in Jesus. Perhaps prayer without ceasing is this act of abiding in the vine, staying connected to Jesus, being so familiar with Jesus in God's word and Jesus in our prayer life that our life almost looks like we're following Jesus every moment of our day. The pressure in this situation, in this branch connected to the vine, is not on the branch. It's on the vine. When we live with a constant awareness and surrender to Jesus, the pressure is actually on Jesus to use our life 
to, for it to be fruitful. I love this quote from Marjorie Thompson. Uh, she said, The one condition that precedes every kind of prayer is being present to God with conscious awareness. God is always present with us whether or not we can feel this reality. And I think that's part of our problem with prayer is we don't feel this reality. But in a very real sense, then the foundation of all prayer is, I love this, being present to the presence of God. That prayer begins with being present with the presence of God. And when we orient our day around God's presence, we will delight more and more and more in the God who is already present and with us. When Dylan was born, I remember as uh, those first days, I used to just stand and just watch her sleep. And part is because I think every uh, parent who has a newborn is afraid that their, their kid's like not going to make it through the night. So we go and just put the hand over their chest and make sure they're still breathing. But I remember also just uh, like a creepy dad just, just staring at her. And now with our third born, we're just like, just throw her in the crib and run out. <laughs> um, but I remember just, uh, just, just, just loving her. And she wasn't doing a single thing. I just remember just delighting in her. And as Dylan has grown up, every once in a while, I'll go in and I'll tuck her in to sleep. And as she uh, lays there, I still catch myself just delighting in her. Just, just standing there, uh, just delighting in her. And every once in a while, Dylan will sense my presence. And with one eye barely open, she'll look to see me there. And with a small smirk in her mouth, She'll kind of just lay down and act like she is asleep. And I am just, just loving her, and she's receiving uh, my love. I think this is what it means to be present to the presence of God, is first and foremost that we rest in God's love, that we stop and believe this crazy truth from God, that God delights in you when you are doing nothing, God loves you because God loves you. This is who God is, and more importantly, this is who you are. You are beloved. And every prayer experience of our life is our response to God's loving presence in our life. And I think for many of us, our temptation is to doubt it. And that undercuts any experience of remaining connected to Jesus and abiding in Christ and praying without ceasing is we feel like we have to earn and strive to receive the delight of Jesus. But meanwhile, God sees us and lavishes love and acceptance to us. As we learn to rest in God's love, then we learn to bring all of our life into the presence of God. When we've learned that God's presence is already with us, then we learn to bring all of life, not just the morning phone call, maybe the nighttime phone call, but we bring the presence of God in all of our moments of our day. So when we experience temptation, rather than just shunning it and hiding it, we actually take that temptation into the presence of God. God, this is something I'm tempted with. Will you show me how hollow and empty this is? Will you show me just how good you are and how beautiful you are in comparison to this 
this insignificant temptation? When something just bugs you in your day, rather than just rolling through the script in your mind of what you could have said, what you should have said, rather than working out if, if I have the opportunity to get back in that situation, rather than doing that, you actually take it to the presence of God. And you say, God, this is just annoying me. Is there anything in this that I, can, I need to learn? Is there anything in this that, is there, is there some truth to this? Help me get past this. Help me to see my way out of this. We learn to take everything into the presence of God, especially when good things happen, rather than just saying, thank you, God, for everything holy. We actually, thank you, God, for the mundane, beauty, beautiful parts of my day. We give thanks in all circumstances. And as we do that, we all of a sudden are practicing more and more the presence of God. We're learning how to pray without ceasing. I have a friend who uh, has a phrase that he says often to him. When I come to him, I just want to vent, and I want to gripe, and I want to share my annoyances. He will often listen to me, and then he will say this. What happens when you talk to God about that? And it's super annoying. (laughs) I just want him to be agreeable. But he's trying to love me. He's saying, like, it's great that you feel this way, but what is it like when you talk to God about that? He's trying to push me back into this idea that God cares about every moment of my day. So why wouldn't I take it to the presence of God? If he's a loving father, if he's a good, if he's a good shepherd, why wouldn't I trust this to God? Why wouldn't I quarantine God to certain pockets of my life? This gives us understanding of how unnatural this kind of praying is. That rather, It's much easier to have this phone conversation with God and it's much harder to take all of our life into the presence of God. So if you are interested in venturing into this type of prayer, I just want to give you some warnings. Our minds are not trained to pray like this. I wonder, and maybe I'm just building up our generation a little bit too much, I wonder if we have more barriers between us and constant prayer than any other generation that's lived on this world. Why? Because our brains are being trained for constant stimulation, constant entertainment, and constant control. One of the greatest examples of that is, is this right here, right? Companies are sp- spending billions of dollars to uh, addic- uh, addict us and distract us. You think you own your phone. It's owned by someone else. It works for someone else. And in many ways, that's an example of how we are being, uh, there's barriers in our way of learning how to pray without ceasing because uh, prayer is not cheap stimulation. Prayer is not entertainment. Prayer is not control. But the good news is that stuff like the phone does nothing for your soul, and prayer does. Because of this uh, inability, because we're not wired to pray constantly, it will take time. So if you are trying to learn how to pray more like this, I just want to say give yourself grace. Give yourself grace to learn and to practice this more and more. This is intimacy, and all intimacy takes time and frequency. And too many of us judge our prayer life prematurely. We, we get out in front of our prayer life, and we judge it, and we stop it. Uh, and my encouragement for you is to stick it out. Allow the seeds of prayer to be planted and to take root. So I want to end by giving you a handful of tools to learn how to pray more and more, how, how to practice this type of prayer. One of the most important things that we can do in the Christian life, and this is something that Dallas Willard said, is he said that one of the most important things that we could do is to keep 
God in the forefront of our minds. That we have to direct and then redirect and then redirect our minds back to God over and over again so that we are living with the awareness and surrender of God throughout our days. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, A man is what he thinks about all day long. Whatever you think about all day long, that's who you are. Or if you prefer the Bible, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Whatever you think in your heart, this is who you are. Because prayer will start unnaturally, we have to create habits and rhythms in our life to teach us to pray. We have to force them. And many of us will be like, oh, I want to be authentic with my prayer life. I just want to pray when I feel it, you know. And reality is, good luck. You know, like I just don't know many of us who, who's to say that rhythms and habits aren't authentic? That we know that we want to be this person, so we force ourselves to have rhythms and habits to align our desires and our days to be who we want to be. And so there are three different tools I'm going to leave you with if you want to take steps in growing in ceaseless prayer. The first one is fixed hour prayers, or it's also called the daily office. There's a tradition within Christianity to invite a schedule of prayer throughout your day. And it's been called fixed hour prayers, or the Catholics, uh, they call it the daily office. And uh, it's a wonderful tool for many of us. There are different ways that people do this. You can, you know, if you go to a monastery, they might have seven or nine different daily offices. Many people, they practice three daily office. Uh, morning, noontime, and evening. And in doing this, you're creating a rhythm of your days where you're, you're going to God in prayer so that you remember to do that through all of your day. And some of us might critique this uh, fixed office this, uh, uh, this fixed hour of prayer, but it's teaching us how to live with that. And so I would encourage us, for some of us, to, to set timers, uh, alarms on our, on our phones. Use that technology for good and remind you uh, how to practice the daily office. The second type of prayer I would like to encourage is something called living prayers. I made up this term. I couldn't find a better term, so I just made it up. So don't Google it. It's not going to come up with anything. But living prayers is a, a, a type of prayer tool. I found it within the Celtic uh, Christianity uh, tradition. And in this type of prayer, you use whatever you're doing to be a prompt to, to pray. So, for instance, thousands of years ago, a thousand years ago, uh, uh, St. Patrick, he would begin his day by lighting a fire. And he would start with the very first thing he would do every single day. And as he would do this, he would say, God, I pray that you would light a fire within my heart and my soul today. You take the things within your day as prayer prompts. So whatever you're doing, consider how this could be a prompt to pray. So for instance, uh, I like to take a walk. That's oftentimes how I have my, my time with God because I'm restless and it's very unnatural. So I oftentimes, I'll be walking and I'll just say, God, I just want to walk with you today. I just, wanna, I, just wanna, I just want you to be my companion today. I want to follow you. I, want you. I want you to lead me through this conflict I'm dealing with. I want you to lead me into this difficult situation. And you're using your, I've literally, I've changed a diaper and said, thank you, God, for cleaning my messes. Thank you, God, for, for loving me and being with me. Thank you, God, for your patience. Um, using whatever you do as a prompt to pray. One of the greatest writers on this topic of prayer is a monk named Brother Lawrence. He lived in the 1600s in, in Paris. And outside his prayer services, he would spend, or some people would say, waste all of his day washing dishes. That was his job. He would spend his days washing dishes, but while he washed the dishes, he would pray. 
You pray for God's, God's cleansing power in this world and in his life. And what happened is people began to notice he had a lot of wisdom in prayer, so they would write letters. And Brother Lawrence would respond to these letters about prayer. And then after he died, people compiled these letters of encouragement of prayer, and it created this book called Practicing the Presence of Christ. Emphasis on practicing. Practicing the presence of Christ. And this lowly monk who spent his days washing dishes and writing letters, this book made a profound change in many people's lives, including A.W. Tozer and John Wesley. And some people believe that this is the second most widely read book in all of Christian tradition, second to the Bible. So this lowly monk who's practicing the presence of Christ, that he had significant life and his significant experiences in his life because he was practicing the presence of God, meeting with God throughout his days. And so whatever you do in your day, consider how that could be a prompt to pray. And the third, the third prompt is a breathing prayer. There's a deep biblical tradition around the spirituality of breathing. Just consider how God created humanity. He formed them from the dust, and then what did he do? He breathed life into them. And even Jesus, after he was uh, uh, killed and after he was resurrected, he met with the disciples as they were afraid, hiding in a room, and he said, peace I give you. And then what did he do? He breathed on them. And so for us, there's, a, there's an opportunity for us to consider how our breaths can, might be a prompt to pray as well. This type of prayer uses your breath to be a means of prayer, and people will memorize a short phrase, and as you breathe, you say this phrase over and over again. You allow this prayer to, to go one inch deeper into your soul. I've used this prayer in my morning, my morning devotional time, where it's more about just abiding with Christ than sharing my, my, my laundry list of things I want from God. I've used this prayer as I drive. I've used this prayer during arguments. I've used this prayer in meetings. And just as our breath is available, so it is with prayer. So we're going to actually practice that right now. We're going to practice the, the breathing prayer in part because we don't want the sermon series to be merely just sermons, but we actually want to grow in our ability to pray. And so just a, a warning, it's going to be awkward, but I think oftentimes some of the best parts in life wait in awkwardness, wait outside our comfort zone. So I'm going to lead us through a time of, of, of prayer using our breath. And my hope is that for some of you, you might actually take this prayer experience and apply it to your life. So if you can, go ahead and get comfortable in your seat. Use this moment and remember that you're breathing. <laughs> Something we forget about, but we're breathing right now. And take deeper breaths than usual. And remember this verse, this words from God. Be still and know that I am God. So right now, still down your thoughts, slow yourself down. And just try to be present. And 
like a child with one eye barely open, sensing the presence of a loving parent, right now just breathe in the love of God. Just take it in. And consider now even anything that you just need to confess to God. That's something that you just need to take into the loving presence of God. And breathe out your regrets. And breathe in God's grace. And breathe out your shame. And breathe in God's forgiveness and love and mercy. Breathe out your fear and breathe in God's hope. Breathe out your anxiety and breathe in God's freedom and deliverance in your life. in a second, you're going to have an opportunity to look at it. different prayers, very short prayers that you can memorize. And uh, on the screen, there will be these uh, prayers. I want you to choose one of, which of these prayers, just one line, which of these prayers is where you, where you are today. Which of these prayers are what your heart needs to just to say to God? Go ahead and choose one. Now that you've chosen it, close your eyes again. And as you breathe in, pray the first half of that prayer. And you, as you breathe out, breathe. This, just say the second half of that prayer. Pray that, pray that prayer to God. Just let your mind and your heart just be fixed on that simple childlike prayer. Now just spend some time just just saying simple prayers of gratitude to God. In the season of Thanksgiving, just consider all that you have to be grateful for. God for his presence. 
thank you, Jesus, that for whatever reason, you just have a deep, deep, deep longing for us to remain in you, to abide in you. And God, we just want to say uh, we're sorry for how we run, how we are so distracted, how we are so forgetful. And just like the Cuban pastor shared with me, I just, just want to say, God, we just want to say that you're alive. We just want to declare that you're, a, that you're alive and we thank you for being present here, not just an idea, but a true presence here. And thank you for meeting with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.